Welcome to Building Astropad. I'm Matt Runge, co-founder and CEO at Astropad, and I'll be taking you behind the scenes at our company where we build software and hardware products for creative people. So if you're a creator interested in starting a business or creating your next big project, join us and let's learn together. Well, hi everyone, Matt here with Savannah. Hello. And today we are talking about getting lost in little tasks. So this was inspired recently, this episode by about a week ago, Savannah sent me an article. She sent me Cal Newport's article in the New Yorker about the rise and fall of getting things done. And she was like, you got to read this. You know, it's all about little tasks and, you know, trying to be productive and getting lost in all those little tasks, not feeling like you're getting anything done. She's like, you have to read this. I totally you know, jive with this article. Let me know what you think. And we were talking about it and we're like, you know what? This would make a really good podcast episode. This well, really yeah, I, I sent it to you because it's something that we, I feel like you and I, we complain about this a lot and we haven't really figured out a solution for it. But it was nice. Like when I read this article, I felt like, okay, I guess we're not the only ones feeling this way that we're getting lost in all these little tasks all the time. Like it's nice that someone like Cal Newport is is talking about the same thing. And he wrote Deep Work. And there's another one he wrote too. What is it? Focus? So there's another book he wrote too. But Deep Work is the one, probably his most famous one. Yeah. And this article in The New Yorker, so it's called The Rise and Fall of Getting Things Done. And it's a lot about how productivity culture has failed us pretty much. Where we're at right now as you know, in our professional lives, like we've built these tools and methods for being productive, but really they, in a lot of ways, they've just made things worse. And they create this like system where you're constantly getting lost in these little tasks. And so if you haven't read the article, I highly recommend it in the New Yorker. But I think we should start with just defining what little tasks are. I'm curious what this means for you, Matt. Like what are... Yeah, I was going to ask you why. Well, okay, okay. I can go first. To me, it's almost like chores. It's like little asks that people are asking you to do or, or things you need to do on a regular basis that none of them themselves take that much time. But it's like once you add them all up, your day seems to go by. A lot of, you know... Somebody asking where some emailing you asking where can they find a document? Somebody needs another document signed. Somebody needs administrative access to some section of the website. Somebody needs a new account for I don't know all sorts of like little like none of those things I just described take that long. Like each of those can be done in like two minutes, but somehow it's easy to get stuck on a treadmill where you're just doing those sorts of tasks and you don't get anything big done. And you kind of end the day and you're like, wow, what did I, did I really accomplish anything today? <laughs> like, where'd my day go? Yeah. Yeah. What does it, what does it mean to you? <sighs> For me, it's like those things that they just like, they sit on your mind and they they weigh on you. You're like, oh, I got to get this thing done, but I'm really not excited about it. It's Yeah, it's all those little tasks. And often for me, it's with email. I hate oh, email. Yeah. Totally. I hate it. My email inbox is like a to-do list kind of, of 
things that I'm not excited about. And it's like, I just, I know I got to clear them out so that I can get those things off of my mind. The problem is that they always multiply, you know, like you get through your inbox and a day later, it's a new to-do list. Yeah. And so it's email. It's things like, oh, this thing on our website is broken or could be improved. Can you fix this really quick? And it's like, yeah, I could do that in like an hour. Like it doesn't take that long, but I get stuck because it's like, is that thing worth my time? Like, is that the best way that I could be spending that hour? Or is there something more important that I could be doing with it? So those are those are the little tasks, tasks like emails, fix this thing. Can you get this asset, like pull together this quick blog post, something like that. So I guess what I feel is tricky about this little task concept is that so often it feels like you're being more productive when you're taking care of those little tasks because it's very easy to like quantify them and they're very tangible and there's like this nice feeling that you get when you check things off of your to-do list and that's why it's so easy to get sucked into that cycle of like just focusing on the little things. It's like addicting to do the checklist thing. I guess the problem with that is that you you aren't working on like the bigger goals, like the bigger projects that aren't as tangible. They're not as easily condensed into a checklist. And so, yeah, it's a trade-off that you have to make. Yeah. And we had a recent meeting with an advisor to the company and he was really pushing us on on this as well. He's like, you know, you guys are spending a lot of time working in the business, but are you working on the business? And what he meant is, is we're spending a lot of time taking care of today's issues today, whatever the pressing tasks are for today, but not spending enough time looking ahead at what's what's coming next. And he was saying how he's seen with other small businesses that this is really dangerous. It can be really dangerous to be heads down, just focusing on the current issues, current issues customers are having, issues with the website, issues with the product, and not having your head up thinking about what product is coming next. Because it could be that while you're down busy fixing all these bugs and dealing with customer complaints, which is something we do need to deal with, but you can't do it to exclusion. You know, Before you know it, your product might be obsolete. And by the time you realize it, you know, the world's moved on, you know, so he's always really pushing us to lift our head up and make sure to carve time out to be working on those, those tasks that the bigger ones, the bigger rocks for the longer term stuff, which is, you know, is a good reminder. You know, it sounds so obvious. It's like, well, duh, of course you should do that. But it's easy to forget, as you were saying, Savannah, to get caught in your to-do list and just be like, I need to finish this to-do list. Like one thing that'll happen to me is I'll be like, oh, okay, I want to work on these bigger picture items. You know, I want to explore some stuff with future products. But I get in this mindset where I'm, oh, I need to finish what's on my to-do list before I can do that. You know, I really need to finish up all these requests for other people. I need to finish what's on my to-do list and then I'll work on the big picture stuff. Problem with that is, the to-do list is never ending. So it's not a good, not a good strategy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in the New Yorker article, Cal Newport talks about 
the book Getting Things Done, which was written by David Allen. And he talks about how when we try to keep track of like all of these to-do list items in our head, it creates these open loops that make us anxious. So it's exactly why I have so much dread when I think about my email inbox. Like it's these open loops that I'm like, oh, I'm I need to close these so I can move on to the next thing, like the big picture, you know, tasks or projects that I'm more excited about. But there's a lot of anxiety there. And as an iteration on that, you know, solving that open loop problem over the past I don't know, five, 10 years, I feel like there's been this productivity culture that started where it's like, it's kind of along the lines of like all the productivity apps and like people who do bullet journals and, you know, they're super into their checklist. I feel like that's sort of a toxic environment of productivity because again, it's getting very caught up in like quantifying how many items you checked off of your to-do list. Yeah. I really am turned off by the productivity culture thing. And again, I feel like it doesn't solve the bigger picture here, which is like, are you getting slowed down by those little tasks or are you working on the bigger picture for your business? And in the article, I do want to read a quote from this because I this really hit home for me. He said, An office worker's life is dramatically easier if she can send messages that demand immediate responses from her colleagues. But the cumulative effect of such constant, unstructured communication is cognitively harmful. On the receiving end, the deluge of information and demands makes work unmanageable. So that's where, you know, you need things from your coworkers and it's so easy to just like fire off a Slack message because it's so casual. You can just be like, hey, can you grab this or can you put together a page for this really quick? Like we really need it. But it's slowing down everything else that's happening in the big picture. And then on the other hand, if you decide to send fewer requests to others and instead focus on like your deep work, you're still going to receive requests from other people. And in the meantime, if you decide to decrease the amount of time that you spend engaging with other people, you're going to slow their work down. So it's like if you were caught in this system now, or we built this system with like Slack and emails and everything, where if you're not engaging, you're slowing down other people's work. And if you are engaging, you're slowing down your own work. So it's kind of a catch-22. I was going to say, you're totally a catch-22 right there. Yeah, and Slack definitely contributes to this. I have a very much a love-hate relationship with Slack. It's great because for a remote team, it does create a sense of community. But at the same time, it can be very easy to just spend your whole day in Slack sending and responding to messages and not getting actual work done. So it's... I don't know that there's, you know, I don't necessarily put the blame at Slack. This reminds me of something else as well, where I used to work on email apps, email tools, and I really wanted to make a more productive email app. I was really focused on that, did a ton of work in the email app space. But ultimately, I came to the conclusion that an app wasn't going to solve this. This was more an organizational, more of a human problem. And it didn't matter 
what app you had, if it was that much faster to respond to a message. In fact, you might just be creating that much more work because you can send to-do item to somebody else's inbox that much faster. So I don't think, you know, blaming the tool is necessarily, the tool is necessarily the solution as well. So yeah, definitely love-hate relationship with Slack, like what you talked about there. Yeah, it's like so easy to ask things of your coworkers now. It's way too easy because you can do it casually, like throw in an emoji and it doesn't seem like a big to-do item, but but really you don't know what they have on their plate and are you interrupting you know their flow state of whatever they're working on? So, you know, I really resonated with this article in the New Yorker, but kind of left off on a cliffhanger because It laid out all of these issues with, you know, productivity culture and how we're working. But again, I'm like, what do we do about this? This isn't, this hasn't been solved yet. And I don't know if it'll ever be solved, but it got me thinking about like, what are some things that I've tried personally to improve on this? I know, Matt, you've tried things. I've tried a ton of stuff. Yeah. And so I thought, you know, we should just talk through them. And I do think that we have a few good recommendations for people. Obviously, it's not going to solve all of these issues, but some good places to start when it comes to prioritizing the meaningful work so that you're not getting lost in those little tasks. Yeah. And I've, I've tried all sorts of stuff. Some that's worked, some that doesn't work. The other thing too with all this is it's very personal as well. I've tried suggestions from other people as well that work great for them, but are absolutely awful for me. So yeah, you know, for anybody else, you have to try these things on and see if it helps you. So what are some of the things for you, Savannah, that help you prioritize the big big work, the important work? Okay. So one thing that I've played around with over the years is like changing up my meeting schedule. So For me, I prefer it when I have most of my meetings on just a few days so that it leaves other days that are completely uninterrupted with meetings. Again, easier said than done because there are always things that pop up. But for now, like I've condensed my one-on-ones to a single day. And then, so that's on Wednesday. And then on Mondays, you know, we have like our leadership, department meetings, and then like our team meeting. So those are my two big meeting days. And then usually on Tuesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, I have bigger chunks of time to get into like deep work. And I know that this is kind of similar to what the engineering team has set up, right? With our Windows meetings. Yeah, definitely. And Giovanni has gone to even more of an extreme where he has stuff stacked up really on Monday and Friday. So he has Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, pretty much open. In my experience too, I've also played around with this. I've also played around with spreading my meetings out, you know, like, oh, what if I have one meeting in a day? And I found like, that's not great. It's better. It's way superior to have just a completely empty day. Yeah. To, you know, work on those blue sky big projects. And yeah, just it's amazing the effect just one meeting has. Yeah. And again, this isn't really a perfect system though, because I found that like for a while I was doing 
all of my one-on-ones on Wednesdays and I had therapy on Wednesday. And like by the end of the day, I was dead. Like I had no like social energy left in me. And that was really hard. But then it's like the next day I was completely free to, you know, just work by myself. So it might not be for everyone. Yeah. And that's the downside too, especially if somebody's a manager and they have enough direct reports, they have enough one-on-ones. It's not reasonable to fit it in one day. And also too, if you stack too many in one day, like you don't want to shortchange the people at the end of your day either. Like you still want to be able to bring energy and to that one-on-one with them. So that's the, you know, that's the part of, you know, being a manager where it's like, okay, well, at a certain point I need to spread these out over more days. But, you know, ideally, ideally I know for both of us, the, the fewer days we can put the meetings on, the better. Yeah. Yeah. And then that kind of leads into like my next point, which is about like blocking out quiet time for deep work. And I know like for me, something that's worked well in the past is I'll do these like evening power hours, which sounds like, oh, like maybe I'm working too much, but it's been during times when I've had a lot going on. You know, we were launching a Kickstarter or like a new website or something. And I would get online for like two hours in the evening when no one else is online. So it's uninterrupted. You know, I can like work with a beer or something. It's very casual. There you go. And uh, yeah, that worked really well for me. I don't do that all the time because I'm not always busy enough where I need that. But for those busy times, like I would actually really look forward to that. And I mean, again, this isn't going to work for everyone. I don't have kids. And so if that would be a whole different thing, I know, Matt, that's probably a lot more difficult for you to find that time in the evenings. But. Yeah. Well, for me, it's after the kids go to bed and there's something yeah. I want to work on. And that's yeah. pre- pretty much if I'm excited about something. I'm like, oh, I want to get back to it. Yeah. Which, yeah, has been this week. I got a little something I'm working on. I, I can't talk about it, but. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's been dipping my toes into the coding a little bit this week. And that's been the kind of thing too, that, you know, it's like, all right, let's jump on it after the kids are in bed and do a little bit. Yeah. I just kind of, I liked that for myself. It was peaceful and I found that productive. I know it's not for everyone though, but, you know, along with blocking out quiet times, like I know we have certain days in our schedule without meetings. So I think for both of us, it's mostly Thursdays where we usually don't have any meetings. And haven't you been using that time to work on new product yeah so that's actually the coding even i was alluding to that's actually how it started recently because that advisor was really pushing us you know like what's the next big thing you know and in the early days we started astropad giovanni and i we were doing consulting and then one day a week we worked on astropad and you know four days a week we're working on consulting so we've decided to take up a similar schedule so four days a week we're working on today's problems. We're working on, you know, what the company needs. We're working in the company. And then one day a week, Thursday in my case, we're working on the company, we're working on future directions, exploring new things. And that's worked really well. And there's a couple of things I do as well during those times. I tend to quit Slack on those days. I quit email. We even have a status for our group. It's like a little astronaut that says deep work. You know, you just put that up and like quit. And it's like, all right, don't bother this person. They're like going deep on something. So we do that. That helps. On a regular basis too, I also turn off unread 
notifications and unread the little, little red number symbols. I turn those off because it's way too hard if you see a number on like your email app not to click on it. So on days I'm really going deep, I, I go even further and I quit this stuff. So I can't easily end up back in it. I quit email, I quit Slack, I quit anything really that can distract me and turn that off and hide that. Although I would recommend turning off the unread count on most of your apps anyway, like it's a big help. The only one I do keep it on is Slack because sometimes people need something right away. So if they DM me, then I'm, I'm available on that. But for pretty much everything else, I turn it off. Yeah. Matt, as the CEO of Astropad, are your Slack DMs, like, would you say they're pretty much open and available to anyone in the company? Like, what's your philosophy around that? Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, that anybody can DM me at any time for basically anything. So I want to be accessible. So that's why I leave it on. If I was in a different role, if I was in more like a everyday engineering role, I'd probably be different and I'd turn more of that stuff off. But given my position, I do want to be available. So other than those, you know, certain times that I do quit Slack, but even then I'll like go do something for a couple hours and then I'll pop back in to see like, okay, does anybody need anything? Okay, no, nobody needs anything. Okay, I'm going to go back, go back into my tunnel, go back into the cave. Yeah. I feel like in general in the company, people are very respectful of the deep work Slack status. Mm -hmm. Like you don't, if you do have to message them, you know that like they're not going to get back to you in the next few hours and no one's offended. So I think that's something that's worked really well for us. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. The other thing too is that I've had to wrap my head around and, and I mentioned this a bit earlier is I just have to ignore my to-do list, my email inbox. Because it can be really tempting, let's say Thursday in particular, where I'm supposed to be working on long-term stuff, to be like, oh, there's so many unread emails in my inbox. There's messages in Slack. Like I really, you know, I need to tackle these things and then I'll get to the long-term stuff. That doesn't work for me. I'll get caught up in email, Slack, whatever it may be. I need to ignore it. Just completely ignore it. Quit it. And be like, okay, <laughs> you know, of course I make sure that nothing's on fire, like nothing's yeah. like super urgent, anybody needs me. But, you know, that's pretty easy to tell, right? Like I can look pretty briefly, okay, this seems pretty routine. I need to ignore this stuff. I need to ignore my to-do list, quit it, hide it. Okay, now let's work on the big stuff. And that's uncomfortable to do at times for me, but the alternate doesn't work. I never get to the big long-term stuff otherwise. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to talk to you about time tracking because you've recommended this to me and I haven't tried it yet, but I want you to explain to me what it is and how it's helped you. Yeah, so this is helpful just to see where your time's going each week. So literally track, you could use an app, you can use a piece of paper, a spreadsheet, and throughout the day, you know, do it for a week. It's too time consuming to do for longer periods of time but track what you're doing. It's really approaching it this like an engineering problem, an engineering optimization problem. You're like, okay, I want more time. Okay, well, if you want more time to work on other projects, the first thing you got to answer is where is my time going? You want to work on the kind of the 80-20 rule falls into a lot of things where, where there's probably something that's taking up 80% of your time, right? And you need to figure out what that is. And that's what you want to optimize. You want to optimize what's taking up the majority of your time. 
And so it may be that email, it feels like email is taking up a ton of your time, but when you measure it, it might actually not be. So that means that improving your email workflow or doing things around email is not going to help you that much. You really got to find what's really taking up the most time. And I've done this before too. I've done this also before we hired somebody. I was like, you know, I need to free up more time in my week, for example, to work on, you know, longer term stuff again, new products, new product direction. Where do I need to free up time? And so I'd literally like record what I do for the week and be like, okay, can we take any of these tasks and can they be delegated to somebody else? Like, where am I spending a lot of time and how can that go to somebody else? Or how can it be even ne not necessarily to somebody on the team, but maybe outsourced? Maybe there's a contractor that could help you with it. Maybe there's a way to, maybe a bunch of it doesn't have to be done at all, right? You didn't realize you were spending that much time on it, but it can be pretty eye-opening to track how much time you spend on different things. Yeah, I really want to try that. I know like in the next few months, we'll probably be making another marketing hire. And so that's something that I'll do before, before we start looking for someone to kind of narrow down like, okay, what are the things that I want to take off of my plate to put onto a new hire's plate? And how could we like find someone who complements, you know, the the things that I need or that I enjoy doing in my role. So Right. And it is, there are some tools that do make this easier to do. There's screen time on the Mac that'll help track that. There's other things like rescue times around a long time that'll help track what apps, what websites you're spending time on each day. I go further than that because I'll categorize things like what I'm doing in Zoom. Like it might show that I spend a bunch of time in Zoom and then I want to categorize like, okay, this percentage of my time was in one-on-ones. This percentage of my time was in general meetings. This was like just meeting up with people, right? I want to break it down further than what those tools can tell me. But then give you a really good first pass. Uh, like, oh, wow, I spent a lot of time on Twitter. <laughs> you know, maybe I shouldn't do that. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so moving on to the next recommendation I have is working transparently with your team so that everyone knows each other's workload. And this was something that was sort of proposed in the Cal Newport article. He said, when I don't know how much is currently on your plate, it's easy for me to add one more thing, which is so true. And that one more thing is those little tasks that you get lost in. And so on the marketing team, something that we've been doing is you know, in our weekly meetings that happen at the beginning of the week, you know, we have our notion agenda and we outline the week priorities for the marketing team. Usually it's like two or maybe three things where if we can accomplish these three things for the week, you know, it's been a good week. Like we're moving in the right direction. And then outside of that, or like underneath those week priorities, we outline like to do action items and assign DRIs, directly responsible individuals. Is that that's what it stands for, right? Yeah, that is. Okay. That's something we that's something we stole from Apple where they it's yeah, it's essentially means who's responsible. Yeah. Where does the buck stop? Yeah. You know, that's really what that means. And so you make it explicit by assigning a DRI. So nobody's guessing who's responsible for this project. You know, yeah, exactly. Because that was a mistake that I was making like when I first started managing people is I would say like, okay, we need to do, we need to take care of this. But then I wouldn't 
like assign it to a person and I would kind of like wait for someone to volunteer to take it. And I think it just put everyone in an awkward position. And so now we just, we go through the week priorities, break them out into like action items and then assign the DRI. And then you know exactly how much is on someone's plate. Like Tiffany on our marketing team, I know exactly what she's working on. She knows what I'm working on. And of course, throughout the week, like things pop up where we need things from each other and we need to collaborate. But when you know how much is on someone's plate, you you can just have a better understanding of like, yeah, am I going to be setting them back by achieving these weak priorities by asking them to do this one extra thing. That's kind of the problem with email because, you know, I get emails mostly from external people that we work with in the company because we don't really use email at all within. not, Not that much. It's pretty much external only. Yeah. And so my email is, you know, things that people externally need from me. And of course, these people don't know what is on my plate for the week, like Matt and Tiffany know on within like the marketing team. And so that's why it's easy for them to just like, oh, can you do this one extra thing for me? So I think if I had to sum that point up, it's just like working transparently within your team so that you know what's on everyone's plates. Yeah, no, and that helps a lot. And it's also why if people are vocal about like what their current workload is like as well, that you have people on your team that you can trust and say like, do I have too much work? Do I have too little work? And they're willing to give you that feedback can be really important as well. Because sometimes even though you're saying with email, there might be a request coming in that you don't even know about. They're spending a ton of time on. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So the last thing here is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. So it's, choosing to work with people who are good fit for your work style, like your work culture. And I think this holds true for people like internally and externally to your team. So internally, you, you know, want to find people who prioritize deep work and getting into that flow state. And especially in a startup It's hard when there are people who, you know, narrow in on all of the issues and like the little problems and open like loopholes that need to be solved. It's good to have some of that. But if you had a team that was entirely made up of those people, you would just get infinitely lost in fixing those little problems. Like you need people who are you know, excited about moving on to like the next product, like the thing that's going to take your company to the next level, who can keep those like bigger goals, like the bigger missions in mind. Yeah. So finding people who are on board with that, with that work culture. Yeah. And also people that are comfortable working with the amount of, of structure as well, you know, and I've, I've definitely thought about this internally where, you know, you don't want to hire somebody if you're a relatively unstructured company, of course, it's not going to work to hire somebody that loves tons of structure, tons and tons of structure. It's just, it's just not going to be a good fit. And so it's interesting, Savannah, that you're talking about that too, in terms of external people as well, like contractors and other companies you work with. Yeah. Well, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I was feeling a lot of friction with 
development agency that we were working with. They like they do great work. We love them, but they do everything over email and just sort of like in a completely different way than we like to work. And everything was very formal and we aren't formal at all. And so I was just feeling so much friction with them versus, you know, we have certain contractors that we work with or freelancers who it's just so smooth. Like our videographer that we work with, I can just send her an email. It doesn't have to be formal. It's super casual. We can just go back and forth. It doesn't feel like a chore to answer her email because, yeah, we're just like speaking the same language. Like we have the same work culture. And so, you know, as I'm thinking about, you know, we're making plans for 2021 right now, you know, looking for some new contractors and freelancers to kind of add to our team. That's something I'm keeping in mind is what is their working style? Like, are they going to easily integrate with how we like to work? Because if not, it's going to add a bunch of extra work on my plate to kind of adapt to however they they like to work. Yeah, no, definitely. And we've, as you pointed out, we've been figuring this out and that if some of these agencies would be great for a larger company, a company that's got a couple hundred people and is super structured and things are org- super organized and you know they're a great fit versus individual freelancer that shoots more from the hip wouldn't be a great fit for them. But it is for us because we're small and we like to shoot from the hip. Yeah. So yeah, figuring figuring that out, which has taken us a while. Yeah. Or even like recently, our WordPress developer that we've been working with, you know, it's like we can just add him to our Notion task board and he's in there like keeping up with comments and things. And it's just so seamlessly integrated with our workflow. It doesn't really seem like a chore to you know, keep that process going. So yeah, I think that that just boils down to finding people who vibe with your workflow and the culture of your team. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so those are some great, you know, tips, things we've discovered the hard way that has worked for us to help focus on kind of the more meaningful work, but you still can't totally get away from the little stuff, the little tasks. Is there anything you've thought of, Savannah, that, that has helped you? Like when when it is time to pound through those little tasks, oh, what gosh. do you do? I am still <laughs> working this out. Like after, out. after we're finished recording this, like I have some emails sitting in my inbox and like I know I need to get to them because it's Friday today. I don't want to come back to them on Monday. <laughs> but I mean, I do like to, when it comes to email, like by the end of the week, clear that out so that I can start fresh for the next week. I'm not one of those people that like leaves hundreds of of emails in my inbox. My boyfriend is like that and it drives me crazy. <laughs> I don't know how you do anything. <laughs> yeah, it leaves a lot of unopened mail around too. Is that yeah, like, yeah. Deal with this. Yeah, you know, one thing that helps me is I'll have like kind of little task days where I know going into it. And I actually often will do that on days I have one-on-ones or I have other meetings because in the morning I'd be like, you know, I'm not going to get into something bigger because I know in a short while I have a meeting. So this is a great time to like pound through some of these little tasks. So I'll kind of batch things up that way. That's the other thing too, is I'll batch up little tasks 
you know, because it's like so inefficient to context switch and do one little task, then do something else. Then, you know, I'll batch them up together. You know, mm -hmm. okay, I've got a bunch of emails to do. I got a bunch of phone calls to make. I'm going to do them all together. Hmm. So I, that's definitely, you know, and then I don't feel like I'm losing time because on those days, like I didn't expect to, I had meetings. I didn't expect to accomplish, you know, big, meaningful, deep work those days anyway. That's been helpful for me too. Another thing that comes to mind when you say that is, so I don't, I don't like having back-to-back -back meetings. I like to have like 30 minutes in between them. And that's usually because like if I have a one-on-one -on -one with Tiffany, there's going to be things that come up during that one-on-one, -on -one, like, oh, okay, she needs help with this thing and she needs me to send her this file. And so I just like to knock those out immediately after that one-on-one -on -one in the 30 minutes that I have before my next meeting. So otherwise, if you have back-to-back -back meetings, maybe you have three meetings, long meetings, and then you have all these little to-do items at the end and they're just going to hang over your head. Yeah. Some people that schedule like hours and hours and hours of just nonstop meetings, I don't know how they do it. That reminds me of something else that I've actually tried before on recommendation from somebody, but I found it was awful for me is actually scheduling on your calendar what you're going to work on. So like at this particular time of day, I'm going to work on this. And that is way too intense. That is way too structured for me. Yeah. I need more breathing room than that. So I, I do like to have a list. Like, okay, these are the items. Sometimes I'll even put it together the day before. Like these are the five little tasks I need to get to. But not necessarily the order and exact time of day I'm going to do them. Like that's, yeah. that's too much. I can see how it would be helpful for people though. I don't know if I... If I could do that, but yeah, no, for the people that it works more power to them, but it's just way too ruthlessly efficient for me. I need some more inefficiency in my day because otherwise, yeah, I'm hyperproductive, but God, I feel awful doing it. Yeah. And then, you know, in normal times, if I was had like a big project, that project that I wanted to work on, like, let's say I'm writing for our blog. You know, normally I would want to switch up my environment, like go to a coffee shop or a co-working space to work on it because then it's easier to leave those little tasks behind. Like you can leave them at home in your office, change up your environment so that you, could, you don't have to think about them. You can only think about the project that you're working on. Of course, I mean, that's been really hard this year. I've definitely with, you know, the pandemic and everything, it's been harder for me to get into like a creative flow state because I'm just at home all the time. But maybe we'll all just have like a huge creative burst sometime after the pandemic is over. Yeah. I mean, that was like something I was reading recently. It was like, yeah, after the 1918 flu, it was the roaring 20s. It was like, oh yeah, that so makes sense now why it was a roaring decade after, mm -hmm. <laughs> after they all came out of quarantine. I think we're going to have a roaring decade as well. But the one thing I was going to add about not being able to switch up your environment right now is I found other things have been helpful in like flipping things psychologically for me when I'm going to work on something different and I don't want to focus on those little tasks. It could be something as changing the lighting, putting on certain music, having a certain drink, right? Like, okay, I'm going to make this kind of tea, you know? And if you do it reliably enough, it'll start to get your brain and I'm like, okay, I, I do this. I listen to this music and I drink this tea every time I do writing. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious though. Cause then, 
you start to do that and then it gets easier to get into that flow right away because your body's like, your brain's like, oh, this is, yeah, this is what I do mm -hmm. when I work on writing, right? That's a good one. Yeah. Some other, some other stuff that I'll do as well to, you know, when I'm going to go deep on something. Mm -hmm. What's your environment like when you're working on code? Do you switch it up at all? Like how you're working? Well, right now, no. I mean, I don't go anywhere. I'm always here at this desk, but that's where I do, you know, I'll like kind of clear off my desk often. I have this like candle I'll put on. I've got some music. Sounds like I'm setting a, a romantic candlelight <laughs> dinner here, right? <laughs> Maybe I'll get some tea or some coffee, right? And I'm like, all right, quit Slack, quit email, quit all these different things. Let's get to work. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And it's good because also you were saying like in my position, right? Like, because I have to balance both. And you have to do this as well, Savannah, where you have to balance both being a maker, an individual contributor, and a manager. Because we're small enough where all of us contribute. You know, we don't have 100% pure managers only. We're not really big enough for that. So that's also been my kind of hack to switch myself in and out of the different mind spaces. Yeah. We still have a lot to learn, a lot of improvements we could make, but... Oh, yeah. Always learning. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm getting better at these things over time. Yeah. Well, thanks, Savannah. We'll be sure to put that Cal Newport article in the show notes as well for anybody that wants to check that out. The rise and fall of getting things done. Very good. Well, good talking to you. Yeah. Happy Friday. Yeah. Take care now. 